0: Welcome to the Conversations Podcast. We have a bonus episode. That's what I'm calling it, a bonus episode. uh, We're going to wrap up a series last week looking at the way, the truth, and the life. And I'm excited because we get a little bonus episode, bonus message from JD this morning. But first... Let me introduce our guest. First, we're joined by Pastor of Spiritual Formation, the one, the only, Bob Moss. Bob, thanks for being on the podcast again. Good morning. I'm glad to be here. And we're joined by Crosshack Pastor J.D. Wilhelm. J.D., welcome back to the podcast.
1: Thanks so much. It is
0: really good to be here. Hey, you had a great message this past Sunday, and I don't know if you mentioned it in any of the gatherings, but I saw it on the Gathering Guide. Your title for the message is Everyone Into the Water, and I thought that was such a cool title given the message that you gave. I'd love to hear your thoughts behind
1: that title and then just even kind of the message as a whole, how it came together. Absolutely. it it is such a powerful image that paul uses in romans chapter 6 of baptism and it really is an invitation for us to begin to dwell on what baptism means for each and every one of us the old self dying being raised to walk in newness of life and it seemed like a perfect kind of pivot point for us as we transition out of this series where we've been looking at the i am statements of jesus where he says that i am the way the truth and the life. And when we begin to talk about that life piece of things, it's not only eternal life, but it's how we live our life here, today, and so Paul gives us really neat language for us to begin to talk about how we walk with God in light of that salvation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's so
0: many things. I think about what you said about we can't have the life without the death, so we'll, we'll get into <laughs> all that stuff. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but you started off by looking at Romans 6.1 and just this concept that Paul's asking about, uh, this idea that if we, if we have free grace, then what significance is sin in our lives? And so, Bob, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, you've definitely studied this passage before and and heard the message from Sunday, what kind of stood out to you and is so significant, even just starting with this concept of grace that we walk in?
2: Well, I heard a long time ago, uh, uh, this is a quote, paraphrased of what somebody said, and that is, unless we're preaching grace so strong that they ask this question, we're really not preaching grace. Mm. Because grace really does uh, cover every sin. And where sin abounds, grace always abounds in a greater measure, which means that it doesn't matter how bad a person has been or how, how depraved they are, and we're all depraved in some form, uh, no, no matter how bad the situation is, there's hope in Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so
1: good. I had a friend once say to me that grace is given despite ourselves, not because of ourselves. And that is such a pivotal thing for us to understand as we begin to talk about this concept, which it's like, we have done nothing to earn it. We can't obtain it on our own. Rather, it is a free gift of God. And that is a hard thing from a really natural point of view to begin to deal with, because then you ask the question, well, why would I do anything different? If grace is there, why should I change the way that we're living? And what Paul wants to do is really orient us to the life-changing nature of experiencing God's grace in our life.
0: Amen. I think something this is a very... uh... (laughs) elementary way of summing it up, but the way a lot of what you talked about and what Paul's mentioning here is to be the same on Sunday means you have to be the same every other day of the week. Like Mm -hmm. it's the same God, no matter that, that concept. I love JD, how you shared your own personal story in college of wrestling with that. And this idea of being someone maybe different on a Saturday, Friday Mm -hmm. or Saturday compared to a Sunday morning, Bob, I know you've shared openly before on the stage and even on this podcast, just your own experience with that in your life, as far as trying to reconcile the two. Uh, I feel like when, I sometimes think of a, of a, a pendulum here or a mm-hmm. spectrum where you think about people they are like, yeah, I just need all the grace. Let, let me keep sinning. I just want all the grace. And then there's some that are on the other extreme where it's like, "There, there is no grace. I have mm-hmm. to earn my way back. Mm-hmm. And so how do the two of y'all... Um, keep those two extremes in check, even just living day-to-day in your
1: lives. Absolutely. I love, uh, Sean Stover loves to say that he believes that human beings swing from extreme to extreme. And so it's either all about what I do or it's all about God's grace and what is healthy for us, Sean tends to talk about, is somewhere in the middle. And it's this healthy understanding of grace and also taking a personal onus to begin to live differently. And I know for me, Uh, what I tend to do is I focus on grace and that can sometimes keep me, uh, well, it keeps me from feeling guilt or shame about screwing up. But then other times I fall totally on the workspace side of things where I do fall into this trap of guilt and shame that keeps me in this cycle of sin. And so the reminder that God's grace is offered not because of what we do, but because of who he is, is such a powerful reminder for me in a daily orienting thing.
2: Yeah, Bob, what would you add to that? Well, I would say the, the extremes are the, the level of maturity that a person reads this passage. A baby Christian is going to understand grace as, wow, you know, I can do anything I want to and get away with it. Uh, A mature Christian would never look at it that way because they would understand that God's grace is not only there to cover every sin we've ever committed, but it's also there to empower us to live victoriously over sin. So we can't live a victorious Christian life without grace. So the same grace that covers sin is the same grace that empowers us to overcome Mm -hmm. sin. Uh, we all have different
0: backgrounds. Some people may have a lot of different church backgrounds. Some, we all just come from individual families. And uh, something we've talked about both here on the podcast and on Sundays is even just our relationship with our earthly parents and the way they disciplined us, the way that they trained Amen. us can often dictate the way we relate to our Heavenly Father, whether mm-hmm. that's in a good way or a bad way. I'd love to hear, I think some may be listening and they think this concept of grace, particularly the church, that may not be the experience they had. Maybe they come from thinking that they had maybe a very judgmental experience, or maybe they just come from a place where it's like, how can God be gracious when the people that love God and are following Him don't seem to be gracious? How would y'all encourage someone that's maybe struggling with that and
2: just trying to even be gracious themselves? I think that's one of the reasons Jesus told us not to judge people or condemn people. He said, if you don't judge, you will not be judged. If you don't condemn, you won't be condemned. And if you forgive, you will be forgiven. So, People that are quick to judge don't understand grace and mercy. And mm-hmm. Yeah, I think
1: you hit on a really key aspect. I know growing up in my house, I felt it wasn't pressure from my parents. It was 100% pressure that I put on myself where my parents were both really high achievers. And so I took on a very performance based mindset, which meant that one, I struggled with guilt and shame when I didn't feel like I lived up to the standard, but two, um, it really formed inside of me this lack of grace. Like it was all about what I can do for myself. And it led me to be judgmental because it was all about performance. And this concept for me was life changing. And it really was when I was in a community of people who actually lived it out. And so we tend to define groups of people by their worst characteristic. And so often people's perception of the church is shaped by an experience that they have, which is, 100% valid. And yet there, we also have to be reminded that there are communities within this church. And Bob, you were a part of Celebrate Recovery for a really long time, where grace is the central aspect of that, that it's grace that moves us to recovery, that brings us freedom and healing and reconciliation in our life. And when I began to see that in the context of church, it really changed the way in which I saw the body of believers. Mm.
0: That's really good. I've heard it before to said that, I mean, we, we, we know we all sin. That's in the Bible. We all sin. Uh, and yet I've heard it before that there's kind of two phases. There's the actual sin itself, and then there's how you respond to it. And that's when both Jesus comes with grace and has a message for us, and yet also the enemy is at work in the same way that he was just at the beginning of that initial sin. And so how do y'all wrestle with or respond to sin in your lives there's that second phase where you you've done something that is not the will of god and then now you've got maybe the enemy trying to sow seeds of of shame or guilt or Mm -hmm. all of that how have y'all navigated that and what encouragement would you have for someone that's
2: maybe in that boat where they're sitting in that and they're just trying to figure out how do we go from here well when we sin there are two things that we need to do number one we need to confess it uh Confess means to come into agreement with God about it, and uh, not only do we need to confess it to God, the Bible tells us in James we need to confess our faults one to another so that we may be healed. But the second thing that we need to do is repent, and uh, repentance is uh, a turning around back to the way we should be going so many times, if we have an addiction or a habit, we have to do that over and over again. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
1: And this is really where I fall back on my experience now working with recovery groups, which is exactly that, Bob. That is a safe place, a non judgmental space where you can come in and you can confess. And you can come to terms with the reality that you, what you have done has not lived up to God's standard or that it's hurt other people. And then you can go about the process of really seeking to uh, repent from that. And those two, I think you're spot on, Bob, are, are the keys to then moving forward when we struggle with sin in our life. Mm-hmm. I think, J.D.,
0: you did a great job on Sunday talking about just some of the common responses we may have to our own sin in our yeah. lives. And so, whether it's rationalizing it, thinking, oh, it wasn't that bad, or, oh, at least it's not as bad as, you know, fill in the blank. Uh, I think that's even another way, not only does the enemy try to isolate us and maybe try to uh, have us hide our sin, but then even just... In our own hearts and our own minds, we're trying to mm-hmm. rationalize how this sin goes. Have you all experienced that, Bob, I'm looking to you for some of these questions here. but uh, how do you kind of remind yourself of what what is sin and even just keeping yourself in check when every <clears throat> part of your flesh wants to say, "Oh, it's not that bad, don't worry about it. I, I've seen you personally confess sin in such a powerful and authentic way. and so I'd love for you to just to share with people just kind of what what stirs in your heart to
2: allow that to happen? Well, sin originates in our ego. And our ego is edging God out. Jose brought that out a couple of weeks ago. But sin, uh, I came up with the definition for myself a couple years ago, was sin is self-inflicted negativity. We do it to ourselves. Nobody. We're, we're personally responsible for everything that we do and say. And so when we sin... That it affects not only us, but it does. It affects the people around us. Mm-hmm. So, um, if if we cover our sins, it tells us in Proverbs: if we cover our sins, we will not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes them will find mercy. And that's what we need. We need we need mercy as well as grace. So, yeah, I I love
1: what you're saying there, Bob, and to make this even like more concrete in my own kind of like imagination. If Taylor, you were to say to me that I am a sinner, my first reaction is to say, no, I'm not. And then to begin to compare myself. Uh, And I'm callous to that because I'm evaluating myself against others to see how I stack up. And yet what we see here is not it, it, Paul is calling sin, sin, and we can't shy away from that. And the quicker that I am to admit my identity, as opposed to comparing myself, dealing with the ego, the faster I can begin to understand God's grace and begin to move past those issues in my life
0: good. That's good. Uh, this is not only a great message for a Sunday, but JD, I also would love to just think about this through the lens of you as the Crosssaw college pastor, because you get a chance to be on the front lines of uh, the university at Texas State, getting a chance to love on college students. And so I just love that not only was it a great message, but you were giving this message and able to mm-hmm. share this because of the way you love college students so well. So I'd love to share or have you share just kind of even your thoughts of how this is relevant to the next generations as our church looks to continue to invest in future generations just what what is so
1: significant mm. about this particular message? Absolutely. I go back to who I was from 18 to 22, and that being such a pivotal point in my life. And I knew with beyond a shadow of a doubt that I believed that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. And yet... I had groups of friends, I had people, peers around me who were saying that the way and the truth and the life was to pursue uh, personal pleasure or whatever made me happy. And I found myself caught in that tension between truly believing that God had saved me in the person of Jesus and yet really feeling this d- gravitational pull towards. Uh, things of the world. Mm -hmm. And being caught in that space caused me to live, as I said on Sunday morning, this real double life where I was struggling to understand how the gospel really intersected my daily life. And so I think I I love what Paul is doing here because he's acknowledging that tension that exists within all of us Mm -hmm. uh, to be Mm -hmm. pulled in directions that are away from God. And yet he is saying there is grace in that space. -hmm. That there is this unmerited favor that God is bestowing upon you, and our understanding of that is meant to change the way that we live. And that's going to come, continue to come with fits and starts. It's not going to be perfect. Mm -hmm. You're not going to like figure it out day one. And yet, For college students, there's so much hope because the grace of God covers all of those things and moves us to repentance so that we come into agreement with God, that we begin to live fully transformed Mm -hmm. lives. And that is a message that is so profoundly different than the message that you hear on campus on a regular basis. Yeah.
0: Oh, that's so true. I think about my story, just being in college, how much God taught me. There's just uh, so much of a forced humility there where you're Mm -hmm. already learning so many things, mostly by (laughs) trial and error, but hopefully from (laughs) school as well and just discipleship. And also, it is such a such a young uh, time just in life that's really neat and and powerful to hear a message like that. Like you said, compared to the world and the other messages mm-hmm. they're receiving, Bob, you have lived not only through college, but a few years after that, and you have gotten a chance to walk with God for decades. And I'd love to hear just kind of your thoughts on this part as well. I think about um, just even some people listening may think, oh, Bob. Bob's gotta be perfect. God, by now, Bob's gotta be, have it all together, you know, especially comparing to like an early young college student that's just trying to figure things out, and yet getting to know you personally, you exude anything but that as far as just you're so real and genuine about your need for God. So, I'd love for you to maybe share kind of with people that may be thinking that, like, oh, Bob's Bob's a pastor, he's on staff, he's walked with God for decades, longer than I've been alive. Like, how, how would you respond to someone
2: like that? I would respond by saying, just go ask Linda. <laughs> Your wife. (laughs) Or my kids. But we need to realize that sin does not originate with God. When tempted, uh, James said, don't ever say that God is tempting you because God uh, cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each of us are tempted when we are dragged away by our own evil desires and enticed. Then, when sin has conceived or when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So it always starts with the desire. And if and when we come to faith in Christ, we're filled with all kinds of desires for things in the world. Mm-hmm. So I thought the best part of the whole message was the way, uh jd talked about the dying to self because when we die to self we are dying to our desires and that is where we have victory is when our desire for god our hunger and thirst for god Becomes greater than our desire for the things of the world. Mm -hmm.
0: And that's not just a sudden death, I think that's, or just a one time death. I think that's Mm -hmm. one thing that I love, JD, that you've shared, and Bob as well. Just this idea that this is a continual thing, whether you're, you know, 18 on a college campus or 80 years old and having lived life with God for Mm -hmm. for most of those years. Uh, Bob, you've, you've developed, and, and I love to plug this anytime we can on the podcast, you've developed some rules to kind of help you live your life with these kind of concepts in mind, to, to check your desires, to make sure that you're not drifting far into the world. I'd love for you maybe quickly just to share kind of each of those real quick, because I think that would bless people listening as they try to handle
2: and navigate, okay, how do I navigate this world and honor well, God? rule number one is not to judge anybody. And uh, we talked about that briefly Mm -hmm. Number two Is to not resist my circumstances And the reason I do that uh, I say that as a rule Is that God Is in control of my circumstances So if I'm fighting My circumstances I'm fighting God Because God is using my circumstances To uh, test me To help me grow Uh, So that's number rule number 2 rule number 3 is n- to not be attached to anything in the world in other words be open handed where i'm willing to receive or give whatever god wants he can take it from me anytime that he wants to rule number 4 is not to be attracted to anything in the world um, and that is to have a desire Uh, for something in the world. And the fifth thing is to have no selfish ambition. And we've talked about this before. I I have more ambition than anybody, but it's not selfish. My ambition is to know Jesus more intimately. And I can't think of anything in the world that is more ambitious than to do that.
0: I love that. I love just hearing your heart, and even just over the years, your heart behind each of those rules. I think a lot of people think of rules and are like, oh, I don't, I don't want anything to do with a rule, and yet seeing the fruit of your life in the way that it really does help as far as guardrails or bumpers on a bowling alley, but just the ways of being able to kind of <laughs> help you stay on target
1: and on key. J.D., would you add anything to that? Yeah, absolutely. Verse 11, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but Amen. alive to God in there Christ Jesus. And I really think those five rules help us to change change our perspective so that we understand the life that we have in Christ, we can begin to count ourselves dead to sin. Amen. Yeah, there's so much that we could
0: unpack here and continue talking. I want to maybe just end on, on one note here that I think about Paul, uh, just even in Romans, earlier in Romans 7, where he talks about uh, just this idea of sin, and he's wrestling with this idea of I, I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I do want to do, and it's just, I think, such a humanizing uh, mm-hmm. approach to sin, because I yeah. think a lot of us, especially sitting on a Sunday morning, we think, yeah, no, sin is terrible. I, I never want to do sin. And yet we find ourselves either, not even maybe Monday morning, but just that afternoon in the parking lot on the way out of church, we find ourselves sinning mm-hmm. or being tempted to sin. And so how would y'all just share even just a, a grace-filled message with people that are wrestling with that, where they're like, I- I'm trying to get better. I really am wanting to seek and find freedom. And yet I just mm-hmm. can't seem to, to get out of the sin that I'm in.
1: Absolutely. I think That is the universal human experience, whether you are 30 or 80 or 18, that is the experiences. I don't do the things that I want to do, and yet I find myself doing the things that I don't want to do. And yet God's grace abounds. And I think the key piece in all of this is that it is the Holy Spirit who empowers us to live a transformed life. And so when we feel like we're stuck, when we feel like we could just echo Paul's sentiment in Romans 7. Grace is there, and the Holy Spirit's role is to come and to be our helper and our advocate and our comforter who leads us into the path of what it looks like to follow Jesus wholeheartedly in our life.
2: Well, I love the conclusion of that passage in Romans 7 when Paul describes this dilemma that he's in, and then he asks a question, and he makes a statement. He says, what a wretched man I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? And then he answers it, and he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Jesus is the answer, knowing Jesus and following him, knowing that he is forgiving us Uh, when we do make mistakes, he loves us, He understands us. He was tempted in every way like we are, so he is our advocate. The Apostle John in chapter 2 of 1 John says... I'm writing these things to you, little children, so that you do not sin. But if anybody sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. So Jesus is our intercessor. He is our advocate, our lawyer. He takes it to God, and he is our defender.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: I don't think there's any better way to cap off an episode. Thank you all
0: for a great conversation, great message, J.D., and looking forward to next week.
2: Thanks for listening to the Conversations
1: podcast. Be a part of the conversation by sending questions about the Sunday message directly from ccc.guide or by emailing conversations at
2: cypresscreekchurch.com. See you back for the next conversation.